The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 579 for Sunday, November 15th, 2015. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We share it all. We try to answer everything. And together, the goal is to try and learn at least three new things each and every time we get together. Described as car talk for Apple geeks, just a little more polite. Sponsors for this episode include Linda at lynda.com slash mgg, where you can go to get 10 free days of their awesome training videos. Otherworld Computing at MacSales.com, one of our favorite places to go for all of our upgrade needs. And Harry's at Harry's.com, where you can save five bucks by shaving five off. Coupon code shave five off saves you five bucks on their excellent razors and shaving supplies. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here, Fearful Connecticut, John F. Braun. Greetings, John F. Braun. How you doing, my friend? Good. Just, uh, just trying to stay, uh, stay warm and stay humidified. I don't know if that's the proper term, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, it would be this time of year. That's for sure. Yeah, it's getting chilly chill. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah you're going to have to bundle up when you, uh, if you, uh, which I, I think you are, you're going to be coming down here. We're going to do yet another... Manhattan romp to uh, learn about things that we will then tell you about. And we may even be doing that later in this show, Dave. That's right. Yeah. 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 I think I actually, I definitely have some cool stuff found that, uh, that I found at the last event we went to the get geeked event and in, uh, in New York. And I had a chance to check some stuff out that we will talk about later, but, uh, but it is, yeah, it is holiday season, so there's all kinds of these events. And I'm excited to be able to go to this one. Usually every year I, um, I go away. We've gone away for Thanksgiving a couple of years and have not been able to do the, uh, the uh, I've been out, not been able to do the, the Pepcom show this week, so I'm looking forward to that. But perhaps the best place to start is with you folks and Larry with a question. Larry asks, I have a MacBook Pro 15-inch 2.4 gigahertz Intel Core 2 Duo with 4 gigs of RAM, otherwise known as a MacBook Pro 3,1, dated mid-2007. It's running OS 10.10.9.5. I use the machine exclusively as a media server sending music, Apple lossless, via iTunes to my stereo system via an outboard DAC. Should I update to El Capitan? I know Apple says so, but I've had some bad experiences with that in the past with other machines and with earlier OSs with the device. Although eligible, it wasn't really up to the task. I suppose I could roll back, but would like your advice to minimize wasted time. It's a fair question, Larry. Um, I have a couple of machines of that vintage running El Capitan here in the house. I've got uh, a couple of 2008 MacBook Pros and a couple of 2007 iMacs, actually. And they all run it splendidly. Uh, I, I will say that they all have SSDs in them. And I really, truly believe that anything Yosemite and later is not uh, geared to be. Uh, Apple has not optimized those OSs 
for spindle drives, you know, um, either the fusion drive or the SSD is really what those are built to run well on. And uh, so with SSDs, and you didn't say, Larry, whether, whether you, what kind of drive you had in there. So I just wanted to point that out. But you're already running Yosemite. So uh, that particular issue is not going to be a difference between Yosemite and El Capitan. Um, with that said, and the fact that El Capitan runs fine for me, um, and actually runs fine for most people, there's no guarantee that that will be your experience. And, and so with that in mind, the, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Principle must be balanced against the, if I don't upgrade, then eventually some app won't run postulate, right? So we have, we have principles and postulates uh, fighting each other here. Um, Here's the thing. You're doing something very specific and very limited with this machine. With that, I consider it more of a server than a client machine. You know, you're not just running random apps. You're not installing new stuff. You're not needing to to run the latest and greatest new shiny on it it's doing a task for you and it works at that task for server machines i never rush to upgrade them um it it's just there's no unless there's a reason there's no reason case in point i've got a server web server up and running i just looked it's been up for 447 days so you uptime freaks out there compete with that number you know uh that so you know with servers i would i would i wouldn't be in a rush but here's the thing you are running itunes and so at some point you're going to need el capitan to run a version of itunes that will do what you need it to continue doing uh, so i i wouldn't rule out the upgrade at all but i would you know i'd get there uh eventually but but you don't have to rush give it you know Give it a couple of months and then and then go ahead and upgrade. I think you'll be fine, but but don't drive yourself nuts with it. What do you think, John? What I think is number one, oh, somebody just fired up a leaf blower. I don't think oh. somebody I can tell to stop it. I hear that droning in the background. I believe that's what it is. Tis the season. Yeah, I, I fully expect that to happen on my end while we're recording as well. So it's all good. The noise yeah. gate, the noise gate deals with it when you're not talking, John. So uh, you know, it's not an issue. Um, ah, but yeah. good. Yep. Good. And at least it's not at seven in the morning, which did happen one time. And, uh, that, that's, that's just, that's just inconsiderate. And actually while you're talking, I'm going to try and tune, tune out that particular frequency. Cause I'm a, I'm a freak on that stuff, but that's okay. Okay. Um, so my thought on this is as follows, Dave, who wouldn't it be great if there was a site that could tell you if, if, uh, your apps or other, uh, uh, gizmos and gadgets were compatible with El Capitan. That would be nice. And there is a site that does this. Uh, RoaringApps.com If you go to this site, uh, they have compiled uh, a list of uh, a compatibility list and uh, it's updated for El Capitan. And uh, it basically tells you, all right, you know, these things work with El Capitan. These things don't. Uh, so yeah, especially, uh, I, I agree with you. If you're using it for a specific, uh, purpose, so one, you could just install it, you know, make a clone, install it on that and see if everything works. Sure. You know, don't, don't just, I, I would strongly discourage you from, you know, just, just going and just upgrading <laughs> with no path of, of, uh, return. 
Uh, and that's what I did before uh, uh, on both my machines. Sure. I did a full clone um, just in case something went horribly wrong. Though I, I was pretty sure, or I, I knew the things that wouldn't work. You know, Total yeah. Finder wouldn't work, Default Folder wouldn't work, um, a couple other things. And I went in knowing that. Um, and I think you and I had heard from some people too, like certain audio devices with very specific drivers weren't very happy with El Capitan at least still, to start. Still so. aren't. Yep. Okay. Okay. There's there's <laughs> just, a reason I podcast from. Uh, a, a Yosemite machine. So yeah, it's fair to say all the luck and success that I've had with El Capitan, the machine upon which I record this show is not on El Capitan. And I'm not even running USB audio on this. I'm all firewire here at the moment, but, um, and I think we would be absolutely fine on El Capitan, but I have, I am never in a rush to upgrade this machine. And I just want to say, yes, I'm an audio geek. And yes, with a parametric EQ, I got rid of the leaf blower drone uh, when John's speaking. So you're welcome. Um, really, I do it for me, though. You know, I mean, I do it for you folks, but but it's uh, it's me. It's me. <laughs> so um, so that's my one recommendation. There is a source of information to uh, to tell you uh, what problems you may run into and whether whether it's time. But I, I would say that, yeah, if you can upgrade Overall, my experience has been that you, you get, uh, you know, they've, they've made it perform better. Um, you know, if, if yeah. you compare the performance of El Capitan versus prior OSs, you're going to uh, more than likely see better performance because they, they, you know, fix some things under the covers. Yep. I agree. I agree. All right. Uh, John, are you prepared to take us to Bruce? Do you have Bruce's uh, email in front of you or should we, should I move us on? There is, oh, well, there's that Bruce. Let me find the other Bruce. All right, I'll take us to Harvey, and then you can, you can bring us back to Bruce when, uh, when, when life is ready. So Harvey writes, he says he has, um, well, he has two questions, but I think we're only going to deal with one of them here. He says, I have a number of Gmail accounts. Most of them do fine. However, one of my accounts, though, I've been able to train Gmail when online to learn and recognize spam. So it puts it in my spam folder online. My Apple Mail program continues to download these emails and put them in my junk mailbox. None of my other Gmail accounts do that. If Gmail places something online in the spam folder, Apple Mail will not download it to my computer. All of the settings on all of my Gmail accounts in mail are the same which is now very confusing. Any thoughts on how to stop mail from downloading labeled junk mail? So, yeah, it, this, is, this is an interesting one because mail connects to Gmail using the IMAP protocol. I'm, I'm almost certain you could use POP, but chances are you're using IMAP, uh, especially if it's happening in the way that, that you're describing, which means... Well, all mail is doing is syncing with all the mailboxes it sees on Gmail. And if it sees your spam mailbox, it's going to sync with it. There is no way to tell mail, hey, here's the list of all the mailboxes. Don't sync with that one. It would be really nice if there was. Uh, I've wanted it for years, in fact. But there is no way to do that in mail. I believe uh, Mozilla's Thunderbird email client will do that. But uh, Apple's mail won't. However. Gmail allows you to go onto the other side from the server and say, don't expose this mailbox or label as a mailbox in IMAP. And you can just uncheck a box. And that box is in, uh, you go to Gmail, 
If you click the little gear icon, which usually is in the upper right corner-ish, uh, from there you click settings, and then in settings, you choose labels. And in that, you'll see there's a, a column of checkboxes labeled show in IMAP, and there's one for each mailbox. Uncheck that for your spam mailbox, and then your computer won't be downloading your spam anymore. Uh, and you st- obviously, you'll have to go to the web to manage your spam. Uh, and that includes both directions, right? You know, Gmail is nice because the way you train it is you put something in the spam mailbox, it automatically trains it that you want that to be spam. You take something out of the spam mailbox and put it back, say, in your inbox, and that will train Gmail. You don't want that to be spam. It's not perfect, but it is. that is how it works. So by not exposing this, you have no way of training it uh, from mail. You have to go online and do that. But that's that's how that works. So, uh, so just uncheck that box, and then you won't be downloading spam from that account anymore. I guarantee, I think. Any thoughts on that one, John? I do this in a roundabout way, Dave. Okay. In that what I do, so, you know, our Mac Observer addresses, of course, are under, uh, under Gmail. Yep. And uh, I have control over mine, which, uh, yeah, I think I asked you for at one point. Normally it's administer. Yeah. Anyways, I can control what happens to, uh, to the, you know, John at MacObserver.com. Sure. So what I did was I forward that to my Yahoo account. And what's the end result of that is that I only see mail that is not classified as spam. Now, then you may be asking yourself, well, what if you want to look at the spam? And I think as you suggested, I'd have to use the web interface to see what has been identified as spam. Right. Um, and I do that on occasion. If, if somebody says, Hey, I sent you something and, uh, and you never replied to it. Uh, but I found for the most part, the, the, you know, the spam uh, control, is pretty good. So that's it's pretty, another way. It's pretty good. It's not perfect. I do occasionally find things in there, but, um, but it's, it's fine. Yeah. 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 I did at one point. And as you point out, you know, if, if I do see something in there that is not spam, I'll then, you know, forward it or remove it. And then it learns, Oh, okay. You know, this, this, this person or entity or, or yeah. you know, style is, is something that you, you do in fact want. So, um, so you could say it's kind of klutzy in that you, have to do it through the web interface in order to deal with your spam. On the other hand, you're not downloading. Um, I'm not downloading the, the, the spam folder and, and, and that can take up quite a bit of space. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I actually like to, I mean, spam. So here's the thing with Gmail though. Spam only lives for 30 days, right? It doesn't keep spam for years and years. Anything that's in your spam mailbox that's old, older than 30 days or that's been there longer than 30 days is, is just automatically eradicated. So it's not terrible. And, uh, and, and I actually prefer to go through my spam on the Mac. I, I sort everything by subject in my spam mailbox because there's a lot of spam uh, mails that come from many different senders, but have very similar subjects or perhaps even the same subject. And it makes it so that I can go through, you know, a few thousand spam messages very, very quickly all at, you know, all at once. I feel dirty afterwards because of all the subjects that I've read, but, um, but I, it gets it done and I can easily spot when there's something that's, you know, likely not spam. Sometimes they fool me. I'll click on something and think, ah, oh, nope, that's still spam. And I just leave it there. But um, I also use mail act on, which is a way of assigning keystrokes to mail rules 
So you know that when mail comes in, you can have a rule or a filter apply to it. And when you when it matches a certain condition, you can say, move it to this mailbox or flag it as red or, you know, whatever you want. There's all these actions. <clears throat> well, with mail act on, you can assign keystrokes to those actions. So instead of it having to meet a criteria that mail sees, it can meet a criteria that you see with your eyes. And I use it to file mail to my archive, but I also use it to manage my spam. I have control F mapped to uh, false positive, right? Which, which all it does is it takes a message from spam and moves it to my inbox and marks it as unread. And that way, if I find a message in spam that's not spam, I, I do control F and then that moves it back to the inbox unread and, uh, and I can find it. So that's false positive. And then, of course, I have command J or c control J mapped to just the opposite. It moves it to my spam mailbox and marks it as red, uh, which it would already have been anyway, but just to be on the safe side. And then that way I'm good to go. But that's um, essentially using mail rules and a piece of third party software called mail act on which is really that, you know, I talk a lot about software that I couldn't live without. Mail Act On is one of them. I, I feel totally, you know, um, lost without Mail Act On. And uh, it's, it's one of my favorites. So that's, that's how I manage my spam. And because of that, I, I leave the checkbox on so that I can get all of that mail and do it inside uh, mail. So, so that's me. There you go. And yes, uh, to answer, uh, hello to everyone in our chat room, first of all, at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. And to answer Paul Franz's question, yes, Mail Acton works with El Capitan. Uh, mail plugins are always the most susceptible to OS changes. And El Capitan was no different. They had to rewrite uh, major parts of Mail Acton and Mail Tags and, and all of those things. But, uh, but yeah, they, they, were, they were fully functional, I believe, right on release day of El Capitan. Good thing for the beta process. All right. Well, John, are we moving on to Bruce or are we moving on to Max? No, we're going to Bruce because right. yeah, I found it. Awesome. I, I had it misclassified. misclassified. You should now see it in okay. the... Uh... In our sync. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Bruce has a good question here. So he says, Dave and John, I'm all of a sudden having trouble with time machine backups it started at the end of october possibly with the el capitan update though i can't be positive of that it connects and goes through the process of finding the disk preparing for the backup and then starts but is excruciatingly slow over the weekend i started the update which was about six gigs and it did not finish over two days uh and it was backing up less than a gig I even directly connected to the airport time capsule with no difference i don't believe it is the wi-fi i've tested this and have sufficient bandwidth my other Macs are not affected. I'm using an early 2015 MacBook Pro with El Capitan 10.11.1. Any idea what might be causing this? Should I start new? And if so, how can I do so without deleting the existing backup? All right. So I had a few thoughts on this, and I had some additional thoughts. when, when uh, And I have some more thoughts. I, I got all sorts of thoughts here. Share your thoughts, my friend. So, you know, one thing... All right, so he says this is on a time capsule, so we got to keep that in mind because that is a uh, well. Depending on how you're connected to, uh, uh, depending on the the class of drive, whether it's direct, direct connect or a NAS drive, um, Time Machine does things a little differently. But I think in general, what I'm going to say applies to both. So one issue could be 
uh, I found that when the time machine drive, uh, either the image or directory that you write to or the drive itself starts getting full, the performance can suffer. Okay. Yeah, that's true. It's got to move things around, delete old stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's doing, you know, whether it's a disk image or something, but, you know, there, there's these hard links and, and it's linking and unlinking and, and, and expiring things. And at some point, that whole structure can get, you know, especially if it's a rotational drive, which as far as I know, that's what you have in the time capsule. Um, you know, things can get, as you point out, excruciatingly slow. So that's one thought. Um what you may want to try to do, and it differs, uh, the, the reason I wanted to you know, point out, uh, you know, the style is different. One thought, Dave, is you may want to try, uh, you know, be careful doing this. You know, we always say back up, back up, back up. Um, but you may want to try to clone your existing data. Uh, assuming it's only for one machine, you may want to cl- try to clone your existing data uh, to another drive and then wipe the time machine and then bring it back. Uh, the reason I, I suggest that is that it could restructure it so that it's it's you know especially with a rotational drive it's more it, it's laid out in a more you know uh, defragmented uh, fashion if you will that that may help speed things up. I'll buy and that. There are different ways of doing that. We have some articles. Apple has one article that tells you how to do it with the Direct Connect, and then I found another one that tells you how to do this with a uh, uh, NAS uh, time machine backup. Uh, and I found the time machine gets pretty smart. It used to be really a major pain in the neck to uh, get time machine to recognize that it was looking at a copy of an earlier one. Now it's really pretty good. And I found this uh, personally when I've plugged in or, you know, upgraded the OS sometimes and it sees a time machine. It's like, hey, I think I know who this belongs to or I've, I've seen this before. Would you like me to? you know, continue using this one that, that you've already used in the past. So I found that Apple is pretty good about that. Um, you can kind of force this if you want to. Uh, I've seen this. So if you do go to the terminal, uh, there is a TM util, uh, which I'm going to guess stands for time machine utility. There is a command that you can do called TM util space inherit backup space. And then, as I pointed out, depending on the style of uh, backup, it, it would either be a directory or a sparse bundle. Um, so that, that's a way to coerce your time machine to inherit, uh, another backup. If, if it isn't aware that what it's looking at is, is a former backup. And the final thought, Dave, well, no, uh, I'll, I'll mention this because it could be a problem. If you all of a sudden start seeing slow time machine backups is your time machine drive may be failing or the area of that drive may start, may be getting bad blocks and stuff like that. And as far as I know, Apple doesn't do anything to alert you that the drive in the time machine is going bad. Uh, I think the drive will do what it thinks it should do is that it'll retry, retry, maybe remap sectors and stuff like that. But sure, this could be a sign that your time machine drive is failing. Yeah, um, it could be. I would, um, I, I, in situations like this, I would head to the console because uh, there's, there's, there, it's possible, right. right? There's many possible things that are going on. And one of them could be certainly this. Um, and you might see some IO errors depending on how, how bad it gets. But my guess is it's what John was pointing to initially, which is that the drive, it, that time machine itself, the software is doing some uh, heavy maintenance on your data set 
I, I either expiring things out. You said it happened around potentially around the time that El Capitan was installed. Well, it may not be El Capitan specifically or any changes in El Capitan, but it may be the changes that installing a new OS brings because there's lots and lots of files that have been untouched for a long time that are now brand new, which means lots of things to back up. And then potentially if the drive is full, lots of things to expire. So all sorts of, you know, maintenance, like, like you said, John, and you'll get a clue as to what's happening there by looking in console and you can filter. You can always do this in console. Uh, there's a little search box in the upper right, and that filters the results live. If you're looking at all messages and type the word backup in there, uh, it's typically a process called backup D that is managing your backups. And if you filter by backup or backup D, even you'll only see things that mention that. And, and it just kind of keeps the rest of, you know, everything else that's barfing messages to the console out of your field of view. And you can you'll get a feel for what's going on. What I would do is is start a time machine backup and then and then go into console and filter by backup D and you'll be able to see it'll say, you know, preparing backup, maintaining files. It, you know, you get a lot more detail there than you would if you're just trying to look at status messages in the, you know, in the menu bar or in the system preference pane. So that that's where I'd go with it. And, you know, Dave, sometimes. So I, I, I understand that um, that Bruce wants to maintain the old data, but, you know, sometimes I found with Time Machine especially, so two suggestions. So one, what you may want to do is copy that old data. Um, you should still be able to access that, you know, copy it to a new drive. But I found sometimes Time Machine just gets so ruined <laughs> that it's just best to just wipe it and just start from scratch. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But again, that doesn't mean that you you have to lose all your old data. You can you know make a backup of it, uh, you know clone the drive before you you do this. And finally, I I would not recommend Time Machine as being your sole backup solution. It's better than nothing, but it, it's absolutely better than nothing. And and you know I I live by this, Dave. I, I use Time Machine on both my machines um, because hey, it's free and and it's pretty good. But I also do regular carbon copy cloner backups. Um, so I would strongly suggest that you can. And, and carbon copy cloner can, uh, in a sense, uh, it, it, it's not as nice as, uh, you know, letting you access things from the past as Time Machine. I would say Time Machine excels at that. You know, it gives you a nice yeah. timeline. Yeah. Carbon copy cloner does it, but it's, it's in individual folders and it can get kind of wonky. But, yep. but it still accomplishes it. But um that would be my final suggestion is, uh, is don't rely just on time machine. Um, I'm with you there. Yeah, you can't. It's uh, well, you can, but when things get wonky, it takes a while before you realize that time machine is not performing properly. And, and that might be the gap during which your, you know, um, life's work is created or the, the culmination yeah. of your life's work. So, yeah, well, just like you, because I've gotten more than once, and this is why I say this, I've more than once gotten the message where it'll do this supposed verification and then it'll come up and say, um, you know what? This backup is ruined. I'm going to lock it. You won't be able to back up to it and you should start from scratch. Yep. <laughs> and uh, when that happens, that, that, that can ruin your day or your week or your month or your year. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a song written about that, right? It's the theme song to Friends by the Rembrandts. Anyway... John, I that's want, what I got. That's what you got. John, I want to talk about our uh, our three sponsors for today. That work for you? Sure does. 
All right. Well, I've got to start by saying, John, I'm shorn. Yeah, I know it's November, Movember, if you would be. And I'm supposed to cut in a mustache to raise uh, awareness for men's health issues. And that's important, but I can't do it because Harry's gives me such a close shave. I can't resist. These razors, they're perfect. And the reason they're perfect is because Harry's owns the factory. They, they, they own the factory. They don't just OEM these things. They go and buy the factory so that they can build the highest quality razors that exist. It's the closest shave I've ever had in my life. My wife agrees. So here's the thing, right? We're entering into holiday gift season here. There's a gift. If you uh, shave your face, you can use the Harry stuff, right? Get yourself some Harry stuff. And that's a gift for your partner. And if your partner shaves, buy some Harry stuff for him. Shave it down. You've got a nice close, uh, nice close shave to snuggle up against. How much better could it get than that? And here's the thing. It gets better because you can go to Harry's right now and buy the Truman set. 15 bucks. That gets you three razors, a handle, and either cream or foam. I actually like them both. I like, I like the cream a little bit better. But it gets even better than that because you can save five bucks using our code shave five off that shave the number five off saves you five bucks off of your first purchase of whatever it is there at harry's go check it out harry's.com make sure to use coupon code shave five off save five bucks blissful close shaves perfection our thanks to harry's for sponsoring this episode linda at lynda.com slash mgg this is the future of education folks if you need to learn something, this is where you want to go and do it. Linda's courses are online, beautifully produced, great videos with the top people in their fields teaching you how to do the things you want to do. And here's the thing, because it's online, because it's one on one, you get to press pause on your teacher. That means if there's something they explained and you want to test it out immediately, if you're like me and you're a little bit hyper and ADD and you just can't wait until the end of the lesson to try something, you don't have to. You just press pause and try it out. And then you hit resume and you're right where you left off. Linda works on your Mac. It works on your iPad. It works on your iPhone. So you could even have Linda up and running on your iPad to off to the side and testing things on your Mac if you're learning stuff. Or you can just do it whichever way you want. Folks, I live 20 minutes from arguably the best high school in the country, Phillips Exeter Academy. They give a free Linda subscription to every single one of their students. If that's not a testimonial, I don't know what is. You've got to check this out. It is the future of education. Lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash M-G-G gets you 10 days of this for free take some time i know it's holiday season and things are a little crazy take a little bit of time and learn something for yourself lynda.com slash m g g you'll be thankful you tried them out and we're very thankful to have linda as a sponsor for this episode when it's time to upgrade for you for somebody else maxsales.com is the place to start you need a Thunderbolt dock, and they make 
my favorite Thunderbolt dock. In fact, it's a Thunderbolt 2 dock, five USB ports, HDMI, gigabit Ethernet, all of that stuff baked in to a Thunderbolt dock that is rock solid. Got a new 5K iMac that uh, Apple just released. They're uh, offering their 64 gig RAM upgrades for it. You got to check that out. Their Aura SSDs for the Mac Pro will soon be available in four terabyte sizes instead of just two terabyte sizes. All kinds of great stuff here. And here's the thing about OWC. Those folks know their tech. They built this company from the ground up knowing what it was they were selling to their customers. And when there's a problem, they'll obviously fix it for you. But then they take whatever that broken or bad part was They bring it back to their own lab and dig in like crazy people to figure out what went wrong. Not only does this keep future customers from having problems, but it expands their knowledge base, right? So that they know exactly how all this stuff works. They test this stuff internally before they send it out. They make great videos teaching you how to install the things that you're buying from them. They offer full support. For everything you get, you've got to check out OWC, one of my favorite companies. I buy stuff there all the time. I refer people there all the time and I am 100% comfortable doing it. I'm so happy they're a sponsor of this show and this episode. MacSales.com is where you go to start and you'll be happy. Again, my thanks to Otherworld Computing at MacSales.com for sponsoring this episode. Hey, John and Dave, this is Max. Um, I have a quick question about an old Mac that I picked up um, a couple of years ago. I have uh, one of the discontinued after about six months eMac for education. And I, you know, have been tinkering around, tinkering around with some old um, video games. But I have a question. Um, so I have this Bluetooth speaker, and I was wondering, is there a way to, I don't know, build or what's the cheapest USB Bluetooth um, audio sender or receiver broadcaster out there? I was just wondering if um, you had any thoughts on that. You can cut me off here. And cut you off we shall, Max. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, definitely. So I did some digging. And uh, I used Mac Tracker, John, uh, because, you know, that's what we I was going to say, gee, what vintage is an eMac? And I think it's around 2000. It's about a decade old. Yeah. Um, but the cool part about Mac Tracker is it tells you, uh, well, it tells you a lot of things. And one of them is what the oldest OS it can run. Right. And uh, and so I thought, well, we need to know this. And it, it I believe it'll run 10.4. Uh, so. That's a good thing because I found two USB adapters, two USB to Bluetooth adapters that require 10.3.9 or later. And uh, and we'll put those in the show notes. I found it. It seems like just about any Bluetooth adapter will do this. Um, and one of them, actually, I found an, a Bluetooth 4 adapter. So that that's probably the one you should go and get. At Amazon, these things are 10 bucks, uh, 11 bucks for the Bluetooth 4 one, 10 bucks for the Bluetooth 3 one. So that's the uh, that there you go. That's that, that's going to do it. And then that'll send that just that it adds Bluetooth functionality to your Mac. And uh, and then you're going to be able to, you know, blast sound to your speaker, or do whatever it is you want. You could use a Bluetooth mouse or a keyboard and it'll all work through the same thing. It's just, you know, it just adds Bluetooth and 
then life is simple. So for 10 bucks, prime shipping, 11 bucks, actually prime shipping uh, at Amazon, you're going to be happy and good to go. That's, that's my thoughts on it, John. I think, and I think it's that simple. Yeah, that makes me happy. Yeah. Mac tracker makes me happy. And that machine actually can run 10.5.8. Well, it depends on which Emac, right? There were two. Okay. The latest, I'm sorry. The, 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 Last EMAC before they discontinued it, uh, they claim, uh, as you pointed out, yeah, it says it can run 10.5.8, but yeah, yeah. at least 10.4. So. 10.4. And 10.3.9 is what's needed to run all of these uh, Bluetooth USB things that I that I found. So either way, either way, just make sure it's running at least 10.3.9 and you should be good to go, Max. So good stuff while we're on the audio realm we might as well go to michael here and uh, michael has uh, a question to ask as well hey john and dave it's michael calling from uh, the bronx in new york i've got a, a question for you that's it's tangentially uh related to the mac but it, you know part of this will involve streaming from an iphone and a mac so i'm going to ask you uh i currently have a uh it's a, I think it's a Belkin Bluetooth device that is connected into my receiver via coaxial, you know, slash digital audio that I use to stream music from my iPhone and from my, uh, from my laptop. It, you know, connects over Bluetooth. My question is, I'm wondering if, and again, this is kind of out of the purview maybe, but I hope you'll address it. It's audio related and you're audio geeks. If I get the new Chromecast audio uh, and I use the... Uh, They've got a, uh, you know, digital audio is, is capable. It doesn't come with it, but you can get the, what was like a spit-up cable, I guess, or maybe still is called that. Uh, connect that into my receiver. Am I going to get better sound quality? Uh, because I think uh, the Chromecast audio works over Wi-Fi as opposed to, uh, as opposed to Bluetooth. Uh, curious. If you think that's going to work, and even actually, I'm not even sure. Will it work from? Do you know from a from a Mac or from an iPhone? Uh, is where you cut me off. Thank you. Cut off, you are. Yeah. So, a very good question because the, none of this is is clear um, out there. So we'll start with the quality. Google Cast and AirPlay both support lossless audio. Okay, so they're not compressing it necessarily to send it to the hardware. They're just sending what they have. Bluetooth, on the other hand, will always compress it. Now, here's the thing. There are several different standards in the Bluetooth world uh, for for compressing that audio. SBC is the the common one um, and and it's fairly easily easily noticed the the quality difference that you get when you send like if you have your your iphone send sbc to a high quality speaker uh, over bluetooth and then say plug directly in uh you'll you'll hear you you can hear the difference it may or may not be noticeable or you may notice and not care but but it's it's discernible fairly easily there's another standard though called aptx aptx for bluetooth and that's much, much better than uh, than anything else for Bluetooth. It's still compressing it, but it's, you know, orders of magnitude better, 
perhaps imperceptible in, in many scenarios. Uh, I don't want to say it's, it, it, it is compressed, so it's not lossless. It, it's certainly a possibility of, of hearing the difference. But here's the problem. The Mac supports Aptex. In fact, my 2007 iMac supports Aptex over Bluetooth. The iPhone does not. So this is why iPhone Bluetooth doesn't always sound that great. So if you're going to be streaming from an iPhone to a device, you're better off with AirPlay or Google Cast. With a very important caveat, AirPlay, like Bluetooth, is built into the operating system of your device, okay, of your, I, of your iPhone and your Mac. That means if you want to send audio to a Bluetooth device, it doesn't matter what app it is. You just tell your Mac via its audio settings, the system-wide audio settings, send it to that device, and you're good to go. Same is true of your, of your iPhone. You can just send audio to Bluetooth. AirPlay is the same way. You've got to be on the Wi-Fi network because that's how AirPlay works, of course. But you send it off and you're good to go. Here's the problem. Google Cast is not built into the OS on any Mac uh, or iOS device. So it, you need app support. There are lots and lots of apps that support direct to Google Cast streaming but not all of them. So you have to be very careful. We'll put a list in the, um, in the, in the show notes of apps that have Google cast support and, you know, whether it's on iOS and, and that sort of thing. I don't know. I don't know that there are any, Oh no. Yeah. There are, there are apps for the Mac that, that support Google cast and they're listed here too. Anything on the, on the PC side is, is listed that way. In fact, downcast is a, a Mac only app that supports Google cast. So, um, so yeah, you got it. You got to, you just got to be aware. Google cast is great because it's cheap and, uh, and very flexible in that way, but you have to, you got to know what you're getting yourself into thoughts, John. <sighs> My thoughts are I'm really not a Bluetooth audio type of guy. <clears throat> what, what is the reason for that? Uh, the reason for that is because all the solutions that I have uh, are Wi-Fi. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, well, but not in like in the car, you have to use Bluetooth or you got to wire directly in. Right. There's there's at this point in time, I don't know of any cars that have Wi-Fi. My guess is that's coming. And with CarPlay, you probably get AirPlay. But, uh, you know, who knows? Right. Um, but there- I did, you know, I did at a, at a, yeah, at a prior show, I actually, they did have a, a car with a uh, CarPlay and it was actually uh, pretty neat and it integrated, you know, pretty well. But I don't even know if CarPlay uh, at the moment is using, I think that CarPlay uses either Bluetooth or a direct connection. I don't think it's doing Wi-Fi yet. So you're still in that. Correct. I, I believe you have to dock your, yeah. your uh, device yeah. and then, uh. But, so. um, but yeah, my existing solutions, the two that I have uh, in the house here are both uh, Wi-Fi based. Right, right, right. And, uh, seem to work yeah, pretty blue, well. Bluetooth, um, I've got, I use uh, an audio engine B1 uh, to connect my computer to a receiver that I have in the office. Um, there are many other ways I could do this, but, uh, but it's because it supports Aptex and has a very high quality DAC in it. And, uh, and my Mac of course supports Aptex. It, it actually sounds quite good uh, going that way. Mm-hmm. So, and then of course, Bluetooth is, is mandatory for anything portable. You know, there's, there's, 
there's nothing that exists that I know of that does streaming over Wi-Fi for portability because Bluetooth is such low power, right? You're, you're able to, right, right. to do that. So, yeah, it's right. a shame that the iPhone does not support Aptex. Um, I've talked to the Aptex folks at, at uh, trade shows when I've met up with them, and they're like, yeah, if, if we could get the answer to that question, it'd be great because, you know, it's in every other product Apple makes, just not the iPhone and, and not the iPad either. I mean, it's, yeah, it's limited there. I do have, and I, I I wanted to give them a try, and I do have a set of uh, Bluetooth earbuds. Mm-hmm. Dude, I I am not an earbud type of guy. I could not get these things to to uh, you know they have a hook and and you stick it in your ear. Yeah. I uh, they are just not comfortable. Oh sure, me. yeah. I I much prefer uh, headphones, which. Uh, yeah, isn't always the best way to, uh, or, or a headset. You know, my phone, I have an analog headset. Um, goes over one ear, have a mic, and, and you know, works great. And uh, for the podcast, I have uh, some some uh, headphones, which also, even though they are wireless, uh, uh, there's interference issues. So I actually have them wired into, into my board. Right, so, yeah, uh, you don't want to use... Um, so Bluetooth is always going to introduce a delay, Right. When sending audio and it, for doing what we're doing here, where you're talking into a mic that's on your Mac, you don't want to have this weird delay coming to your speaker, to your earphones. So, yeah, it makes sense to plug directly in. But here's the thing. Um, we mentioned it in Cool Stuff Found a number of years ago, and I, I still use it to this day. There are absolutely lots of Bluetooth headphones, both over the ear on the ear and earbud, you know, in ear type of thing. And so you can, you can certainly buy a set of Bluetooth headphones that, that fits whatever your, your, um, you know, your preferred delivery method is, if you will. But if you have a pair of headphones that are not Bluetooth enabled yet, and you want to use them portably, there's a little device and there's probably many things like this, but uh, the one I use is called the smart bean from Antec. And uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. You can find it on Amazon for about 30 bucks. It is a little Bluetooth receiver with play, pause, volume up and down and track next and forward. And you plug your headphones into it. It's a tiny little thing um, that you, you, you know, it's got a little clip on it. So you could clip it on your shirt or whatever. And you plug your headphones in and you're golden. And it, it turns any set of headphones into a set of Bluetooth headphones. So um, I will happily share this with all of you because oh sweet it's what it's one of my favorite things i have i it's it's i know it sounds weird i have one sitting right next to me here in the studio because whenever i play my drums if i'm playing along to tracks which i do often um i like to you know i like to plug in and yeah i could just wire a plug into my iphone i don't know why i don't do that but i have this thing and so i use it and it's fantastic because I don't have to worry about wires anywhere, you know, or pulling on anything. It's just all, I just clip this thing on the, actually I clip it on the back of my, um, my shirt, like behind my head and I plug my headphones into it and then I can just reach around behind myself. And I know i you know, over the years I've figured out, you know, what, what, where volume up and down and play and pause and all that are, that's pretty intuitive. So it's good stuff. So what I do have, so, so to mention the headphones that I do have here, Dave, um, because I, I tried using them in Bluetooth mode, but using these in wireless mode for podcasting is not a good combination, right. what I found. Because I remember when I tried it, I think it was an interference issue, is that it was interfering because I'm close to my base station. 
So there was all sorts of shenanigans and the delays you pointed out. But for just regular listening, so these are the uh, JBL Synchros S400BT. Uh, and they have touch controls. It's Bluetooth. I think it also supports NFC. Uh, and for just boogieing around, listening to music uh, within range of a Bluetooth source. Uh, and they, I mean, the sound, the wired, at least the wired sound. Uh, when I'm using them now, uh, you know, I use it for gaming and yeah. all sorts of things. So uh, those are fantastic sounding headphones. I've listened to those. I'm I'm jealous that you have some and I don't. Um, but uh, I've, I've listened to them at trade shows and stuff. These, I mean, these are the real deal. Yeah, well, I'll put a link to those in the show notes for sure. Good stuff. Very good stuff. In fact. Yeah, I got those along with the uh, earbuds. So, okay. uh, so for me, it was a it was a hit and a mess. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay, right? Yeah, I mean, that's it. so those are on ear headphones, not over the ear, right. I believe. Yep. yep, correct. Yeah, and uh, and that that, that I pref- much prefer that style, uh, no matter the connection technology. Yeah, I um, I actually, I'm more if I'm doing, I, I I'm very comfortable with earbuds. Um, I prefer <laughs> it's gonna make me sound spoiled because I am, I prefer custom fit earphones uh, as as most people probably would if you had to f- pick you know universal fit ear- earbuds versus custom fits and um and and in fact i'm using uh, custom fits right now i've been for the last 10 years doing this show i've been using west tone es2s which i don't think you can even get anymore but um but that's that's what i have so uh but for if i'm not putting something in my ears i like over the ear headphones. So I don't like them on my ear, like, like the synchro. So maybe I'm not quite as, as jealous at the moment, John. Uh, I, I prefer, a, you know, an over the ear headphone that, that really kind of um, the, uh, you know, wraps around my, my ear and uh, like the, the blue Mofis. Oh man, these things, these are actually pretty cool headphones. Um, they really, it, they've, they've got, it, they're really comfortable. Um, They've got a great, um, you gotta, you gotta look at them, but the way that they adapt to your head, kind of the way you fit them to your head, it's this, it's this weird sort of like backwards arm thing that goes on and, and it, it allows it to get exactly where you want to have them, um, uh, over the ear. And the sound through these is, is fantastic anyway. And then they are Bluetooth headphones and then they've got, um, a, a chip in them that allows you to set different settings for the, um, you know, for, for, for whatever, for whatever you want, you can, you can really make these things sound fantastic. I mean, you can just go straight analog if, if you want, but, uh, but if they've got, yeah, they've got a chip in there. These are fantastic things. I'll put a link to these in the show notes too. Um, that definitely my favorite, my favorite headphones at, uh, over-the-ear headphones at the moment so all kinds of good stuff in this show john crazy 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 all right so where are we here now i gotta go back to our agenda now that we're off the rails george has uh has issues as well and so we will we will get back on 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 track here george says I lost my volume control on my menu bar after installing El Capitan. I want it back permanently and not have to be bothered about trying to figure it out again. It's really inconvenient. 
and the volume keys no longer work as well on my keyboard. This is interesting, right? So the first place I would go, the fact that you're not getting either of those things uh, tells me that the first place we have to start is in system preferences, sound output, because this is where we get to see what device you have selected for your sound output. Um, if it's on, it, it's possible, you know, that you have a device selected like a, a USB audio device, or sometimes, sometimes even Bluetooth audio devices are, don't give you volume control on the Mac. USB audio devices almost always don't, you know, you have to control that volume separately and your volume controls on the Mac won't work at all. So if you happen to have one of these connected and your, your Mac is, you know, selected to use that, then you won't get volume controls from your keyboard. But if your Mac is on internal speakers or built in audio or, you know, whatever it says, depending on what you've got plugged into it or not, uh, it should let you control the volume, but go ahead and go to system preferences, sound and choose output. And you'll see what you've got there. And hopefully, uh, hopefully you, you, it, well, either it's as simple as selecting the right speakers or you need to reinstall the OS. Um, because otherwise if, if you're on internal speakers and you can't control the volume, there's something fundamentally wrong with the, the audio drivers. And, and I think reinstalling El Capitan over itself is absolutely the right thing to do there. Um, as far as the checkbox for your, um, or for the, sorry, as far as the menu bar item for all of this, you, there should be a checkbox that show that says show in menu bar right at the bottom of the system preferences, sound output window, and you should be able to check that box and see it regardless of what audio device you have selected. And, and as a tip for everyone, when you have that in your menu bar, if you want to change, you know, if you click on it, you can just change the volume. But if you option click on it right from here, you can change both the input and the output device without having to go to the sound system preferences. So if you want to, you know, if you want to bounce to your airplay uh, devices or your Bluetooth devices or whatever it is, if you want to move things around, you can do it right by option clicking on the volume icon in the menu bar. So handy stuff. Thoughts, John? Snazzy. It is snazzy. I think so. There you go. Yeah. Brian Monroe asked a very good question. Oh, sorry. Furby's asked a very good question in the chat room. Does George actually have sound emanating from his Mac? That's a, that's a valid question. George did not address that in his email to us, but yeah, it, it would be very odd. In fact, if the sound was coming out of the internal speakers, but had no controls or anything that would, um, also a, you know, reboot first, maybe, maybe even reboot in safe mode before you reinstall. But, uh, but I think you've got a reinstallation coming if that, if in fact that's the case, right, John. Sadly, yes. Sadly, yes. Uh, let's see. Where are we here? Okay. I'm just looking at the time. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Jim because this is, well, it's, I think it's near and dear to all of our hearts. Jim writes, I have a bit of a fish shake on an ongoing mystery. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Where are we here? Do I have the wrong... Do I have the wrong Jim? Oh, 
Got it. Okay. So I'll, I'll encapsulate Jim's thing. So Jim was seeing messages in his console that indicated that there was an event on his calendar that had these alarms set. And he wanted to find this event. And the good news was the console log was showing him the name of the event. So he went into his calendar and he searched for uh, the event name and he couldn't find it. He says, at least in 10.9, which is what he's currently using, the search facility and calendar seems to give you a subset of events with the requested title. It doesn't warn you that it's doing so. It does give some old events, say back to 2008, but not all of them. It turned out that there was an event with the same name, some meeting he had years and years and years ago that had an alarm set for way in the future. It was a very odd scenario, and that's why he was seeing these strange console messages, and he just wanted to delete it. But he had to do a lot of digging to find this. In fact, I think part of it involved exporting the data and sifting through it that way. And he said, is there a way to get calendar to show you everything? And this is where I, uh, I wax poetic a bit uh, because I don't, I don't have an answer for Apple calendar. And it's because I don't use Apple's calendar. Um, and I don't recommend that if you really, if you're using your calendar for very light stuff, it's fine. And we're talking about the Mac here. Um, the iOS calendar, I actually find a little more, uh, a little, a little better to use, especially on the iPad. Uh, on the iPhone, I tend to use Fantastical, which is, as the name says, fantastic. It's it's one of my one of my favorite iPhone apps. In fact, um, if you don't have Fantastical for your phone and you are a calendar oriented person, I highly, highly, highly recommend uh, checking out Fantastical. But on the Mac, um, Apple's calendar is not up to snuff for people who really manage their lives in their calendar. It's great for, you know, very light use, but as soon as you start digging in, it, it starts to fall apart. And that's where busy Cal is, uh, is hands down the best piece of calendar software for the Mac. Uh, it really, it uses Apple's calendar store. If you'd like it to, you can, it can address, you know, you can have it connect directly to servers, which is actually a better way to do it. Uh, it, you can manage sets so you can see things, you know, if you like for me, when I'm at my desk, sometimes I want to see, you know, the family calendars. Sometimes I only want to see my work calendar and uh, and and busy Cal makes it so simple to set these things up and just toggle between, you know, three or four of them. And I can just see what I want. I can add things to it. So if I, you know, if I'm looking at my work calendars and I, I want to just add one of the, like my son's hockey game calendar or something, I can just check a box and boom, it shows me that. I don't have to preset any of that. It's fantastic. And on top of that, BusyCal search is awesome. It's very clear that it's only showing you results in the date range that you have selected. So you can choose, you can choose all, and then you can see everything, but you can also search by year. So you can look and see, okay, uh, if I'm searching for a, a, a specific event, if I leave it on my month calendar, it just shows me month by month and it just filters down to whatever that event is. But I can go to a list view, which is where it starts to get really handy. And then I can look at it year by year and really easily see what's going on and what events I want and filter down by that. So busy Cal is the way to go for someone like you, uh, Jim. I, I really think that that's, that's going to be the answer. Uh, it sounds like you live in your calendar, like a maniac, like I do. So get busy Cal for your Mac, fantastic Cal for your phone. And I think you'll be a happy man.
I think. You're a uh, you're an Apple calendar guy, right, John? Yeah, and so far I'm uh, it, it it meets my modest yeah. needs. Yeah, I, I believe um, that. Yeah, and I tie it into uh, yeah, and I I I think I'm with you that uh, you know for light use, uh, it's perfectly fine. I have it uh, tied into uh, you know, so we use it to schedule our Mac Geek app. Of course, uh, I have holidays. They offer a holiday schedule, which is kind of neat, and I also have it tied into uh, Facebook. You can actually tie it into a, a lot of, uh, you know, several other services and Facebook is one of them, you know, so I have those appear on my calendar as well. And I actually get notifications on my devices saying, Hey, you know, Mac Gab is coming up. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and that, and that's actually a very important thing, right? You use Apple's calendar. You're tied into iCloud. I think you might also be tied into a Google calendar, which Apple's calendar lets you do. I do the same mm-hmm. thing with BusyCal, tied into the same, or we share an iCloud calendar for the Mac Geek Gab events. And it works fine. You know, there's, it's, there's no cross client issues or anything. We just, we, we each, in fact, I think up until this point, I don't think either any, either one of us ever thought about or cared what calendar client the other guy used. We just schedule it and it works. It's no problem. If you make a change on yours, it appears on mine. It's all good. I like it, John. It's how it should work in today's day and age. Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, what I like also is that, you know, uh, schedule events like, you know, I have a, uh, <clears throat> uh, one of the labs here, you know, I have a, have an appointment for, uh, you know, having them suck my blood and, uh, and they actually, you know, will send uh, an attachment, you know, I guess an ICS, uh, I think it's an ICS file and uh, click on that and calendar comes up and says, hey, you want to put, the, which calendar you want to put this on? Um, and it has all the notes and stuff. So it's nice that there are some standards in this world. Yeah, that sort of thing. yeah. The calendar standards are, um, well, they're they're standard amongst each of the calendar um, providers. So Google is standard. You can connect to a Google Calendar from anything, and you'll get Google's calendar. But the method by which you connect to Google's calendar doesn't match the method you connect to Apple's, even though it's similar. But that's mm-hmm. that's a that's a much geekier topic. So uh, Scott in the chat room asked, "I'm confused. You said Fantastical and BusyCal. Which do you use?" I use Fantastical on my phone, BusyCal on my Mac. Fantastical does make, or uh, uh, Flexibits does make Fantastical for the Mac. I have not found it to be very conducive when you have a full calendar. Uh, it, it, the display, the UI is is pretty, but not at all able to deal with um, it, a, a large number of events. If you have more than like four events listed on any one day, month view becomes extremely useless in, in fantastic health for the Mac, but it's pretty, I mean, they've done a nice job with it. Um, they've done some interesting things with, <clears throat> pardon me, the way they, the way they do sets and that sort of thing. Um, I prefer the, the way, the way busy Cal does it. Um, they've been doing it longer, but, uh, but it, it's fantastic out for Mac is pretty, it, it just, again, if you've got high density on the number of events, it, it, it starts to fall apart. You don't get to see anything. You can't scroll around. Uh, if you've got, uh, you know, if you've got seven events on a day, you see that there are more, but you can't just float over that day and scroll through them on a month view. You have to dig into the day to see what those are. It's a little frustrating. So busy Cal for me on the Mac, fantastic Cal on the iPhone. And my life is quite, quite pleasant. And yes, the two keep in sync because of exactly what John and I are saying. They both connect to my, my iCloud and my Google calendars. 
And it doesn't matter what client you use that. That's the beauty of, of sort of these open standards, if you will. Um, it's, it's totally irrelevant. Yes. All right. Bob, want to take us to Bob? You want to take us to Michael, John? Yes, I can take us to Michael. Michael has a uh, very good question, I think. So let's, uh, while I was vamping there. So here we go. So Michael says, John and Dave, hi, I recently signed up for Amazon Cloud Drive. Okay, is this the right question? Which Michael are you on? Sorry. Okay. Page in versus, uh, right? Yeah, that's where I thought we were going. I thought we were going to talk about swap space. All right, go ahead. Well, he is, but he's starting off. Yeah, he's, he's right. kind of approaching in a roundabout way. So I'm just reading what he he's, says. So anyways. He's a he's, he, he, birds of a feather, my friend. After, after it, you go. Squirrel. So, um, hi, I recently signed up for Amazon Cloud Drive. I'm a Prime member, and apparently you get unlimited cloud storage. See below. Welcome to Amazon Cloud Drive Unlimited Everything Plan. You'll now be able to upload and access an unlimited number of files, including photos, home videos, documents, and other files. Do you know about this? No, it's bringing it back to us. Do you know about this? Is it real or some sort of scam? <laughs> um, to test it out, I'm uploading my photos library. Menu Meters is telling me page ins, 25,730,601. Page outs, 253,337. Swap, 935, of two gig, uh, 935 megabytes, I'm going to assume here, of two gigabytes. The fans are running pretty fast for a long time now. What do the page in versus page outs mean? I only have 8 gigs of RAM in this 2012 MacBook Pro. I'm looking for justification to upgrade to 16. Is this justification? Wink, wink. All right, so one, you know, actually, Dave, I got the same thing based on my purchase of this USB 3 hub. All of a sudden, I got a thing from Amazon saying, hey, you know what? Uh, Because you bought this one gizmo from us, you now get unlimited cloud drive for like six months. I got the same thing. Um, I bought a, a Christmas gift for the family and I got it for a year. Okay. So, um, so yes, it's real. Um, Time limited. What a, right. The only thing is I would say, yeah. Uh, I mean, Hey, they're, they're, um, they're trying to introduce you to their product like many others. And uh, you know, they start off with uh, giving you a, a free option. Yep. But as you pointed out, Dave, like minus six months, you got yours for years. Once that time ends, um, 60 bucks a year, they're going to shut you off or you got to pay them. That's so still pretty that cheap, mind, though, by the way, 60 bucks a year for, well, for un- unlimited, unlimited. Yeah. 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 As and, long as they continue to do unlimited, which some people um, claim to or claim when you sign up with them and then they, they kind of back off for whatever reason. Uh, right. So anyways, you do get a free three month trial for for nothing. Right. You don't have to have yeah. purchased anything. So you can just go. We'll put a link in the show notes if you're interested in this, folks, you know, have, have at it. Right. But to answer his question. So I think uh, especially the wink wink here, what he wants to do is it sounds like he's trying to justify these numbers um, to justify getting more memory. And honestly, I got to say that these numbers uh, to me would not justify getting memory and i'll tell you why so so he's asking what these numbers mean so page in and page out those are interesting low-level statistics that uh, are related to the use of swap which is memory that's put from ram which is very fast to your hard drive which could either be rotational or ssd which is relatively slower um 
And in the beginning, you're, you're so yeah, your 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 computer, if it can use RAM, will use it. But when when the OS thinks it makes sense, often when you don't have enough RAM, it'll write it out to the disk. That's a page out. And in general, I would say that page outs, uh, in the grand scheme of things, are bad. You want to avoid page outs if at all possible. Um, because like what's happening is that every time there's a page out, that means something is being transferred from RAM to your hard drive, and that's slow. Right. Uh, it can be a sign that you need more RAM. Uh, now, the thing is, you may see a small amount of swap, and I think that's normal. So, like, for example, on my system, Dave, I saw, and it sounds similar to him, uh, I saw 791 megabytes of 2 gigabytes swap. And I would say that, for whatever reason, the system wants to have a little swap. It has been my experience, uh, at least on the Mac. Um. And then to answer the other question, the page in is when it reads it back from the disk. And that's, uh, you know, that's the, the computer doing its job. Now, you can get some gory details. I linked to an article that gives you the gory details about memory management. It's uh, on Apple's developer site, and it's called About the Virtual Memory System. Um, but I would say that looking right now with the current OS, looking at these numbers um, is probably not the best way to determine if you need more memory. I would say currently, especially because now... The Mac OS, the last several versions, use memory compression. The number you really want to be looking at is not page in and page out and swap. Um, maybe swap. If swap gets too big, that's bad. Um, but you want to look at this thing called memory pressure. I, I think that is the best sign with the current OS that you need more memory. And memory pressure, uh, you'll see it in an activity monitor, and it's typically green. And if it's green, then I would say you're in pretty good shape. Uh, what happens is if things start to get out of control, uh, your memory pressure is going to start turning yellow or red. And that's a sign to you that you either need to quit some apps or get some more memory. Uh, and Apple has an article saying as much. Uh, it's called Using Activity Monitor on Your Mac, and we'll link to that as well. So that's what I got to say about that. Um, on the I other hand, I mean, getting 16 gigs can't, you know, I mean, if you can afford it, Hey, I mean, I, I don't think 16 gigs is, is that much these days. Uh, no. You know, a couple hundred bucks, maybe. If that. Yeah, it depends on your Mac. You can you can get it pretty cheap. Yep. I mean, that's what I have in my 2012 machine, and I'm very happy with it. And uh, I, I can't recall the last time I ever ran into what I would consider a memory-related um, issue. But it sounds like you have something to add here, Dave. So, well, I, uh, I have a correction to offer. Um, you're right. Oh. You're right about page outs. Um, page outs are when the system needs to take something that was in RAM and save it right elsewhere to make room in RAM page ins <clears throat> too much, uh, too much singing last night. Um, page ins are not only when you read a page out back into RAM, you can have a page in without any page outs at all because ah. page ins are when anything is read from disk uh, that into RAM, for example, not anything, but uh, it can be many other things. For example, if you launch an app and there's resources on the disk for that app that are not loaded when you first launch the app, that's actually considered a page in uh, when it goes in and fetches that resource after the fact. So so page ins are are they are a metric, but certainly not one to to worry about page outs is is certainly before we had this concept of memory pressure page outs was the one metric i would look well there's two 
the amount of actual swap space used because that is, uh, you know, that's that matters. I think if you've got a, you know, if it's X, uh, X number of megabytes of a gig or two gigs, uh, you're you're OK. If you see that number creep up to, you know, X out of six gigs, you've got a problem. You know, you, you need more RAM. But but to see the um, what happens is on most Unixes, you you dedicate a partition. You actually chunk off a piece of the drive and say, we're going to use this for swap. OS 10 doesn't do that. It goes and dynamically grabs chunks of the one disk and uses them for swap. So in your case, when you said you had whatever, 700 and something megabytes of two gigabytes, that means it's gone out and grabbed two gigs of space that it can use. Um, right now, you're only using 700 of that. If you dip down below about 500, John, it the system is going to free up one of those one gig chunks. And so then it would be, you know, 450 of one gig uh, of swap and that, and that's how it manages it. So if you see that, that number jump to, you know, the max number on swap to be like six gigs, you've got a problem. It, you know, the, things are not running efficiently. So those are the two metrics I would use. Memory pressure would probably fall in line with that. You know, if you're looking at page outs and the size of swap. So I just wanted to get that in there. Don't freak out. If you see, you know, a, a massively high number of page ins, no big deal on its own when married to the other stats, really what you want is a very high ratio, right? Of page ins to page outs. If you see that ratio approaching one, that's, or even approaching maybe, you know, three, then that's, that's where it starts to get like, whoa, okay, maybe there's a problem. So there you go. Yep. You're right. And the fact that he saw millions of page ins uh, backs up your point. Good news. It's, it's perfectly normal. Yep. And uh, thank you for the clarification in that. Yes, it's not just reading from disc, but well, it's reading from disk. It's just not reading, only reading from swap, I think is the, the best way to say it. Right, right, right. So, um, is that all we have to say about that? Say about, right. I, I, I think so. If, you know, if you want to get this, but, and also that class, let me see, did, did he say it was a 2012 machine? That I don't know. Oh, no, no, 2012 MacBook Pro. Um, yeah, I think the, the Michael was speculating that because of ex, uh, because of a lack of memory, it may have been causing the machine to to run hot. And I don't get a sense that that's the case here. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I I mean, we just said he was hearing the fans a lot, and I I, I no, do not believe CPU um, or GPU. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to get a ton of extra CPU usage when you're paging out a lot. I mean, you'll get some because the dynamic pager has to do some work, but not not so. If if you're seeing high CPU usage, there's something else going on. You should look an activity monitor under the CPU tab and see what see what's cooking there. Literally cooking. Yeah. Right? Or he's running iStat menus, so that that'll we'll show you too. as well. The, yeah, uh, the, you know, the, iStat menus, at least in El Capitan, it lies. There are times like, you know, for example, I was I was doing a bunch of movie conversions and uh, I looked and, I, and of course my CPU was at 100 percent and I had them running in parallel, which is fine. I do that on this machine all the time. And uh, I looked in iStat menus and it said every one of them I had, you know, four processes and the fish shell, which we talked about last week. Right. Because I'm using that now uh, was the thing that was using it. I'm like, well, I know it's not the fish shell. And I launched activity monitor. And it didn't say fish shell. It said handbrake CLI, which is what I use. I use the terminal version of handbrake because I use Don Melton's scripts to 
to convert all my videos. And uh, I was like, why is, and I've seen this with iStat menus quite a bit since El Capitan. I think there's, there's some difficulty for third party apps to get full vision into what's going on with, uh, with, you know, with the, the, process listings and stuff. So it's probably seeing that these processes are running underneath the fish shell. And perhaps if it sees bash, maybe, maybe iStat menus is built to, to look deeper. But since the fish shell is this third party thing, it doesn't know. And it's like, well, that must be the process. And it just stops looking. So I, 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 it's handy and I still use iStat menus, but I don't believe it. I, I have to look in activity monitor to see what the processes actually are. Well, you know, I think you're, to add to that, an activity monitor, if you go to the CPU tab, you then may want to go to the view menu because um, activity monitor absolutely gives you more granularity. Um, yeah. You can show, and they have all these process types that you can show. Now, I have it set. I'm not sure what the default is, but I have it set to all processes. But you can yeah. have it set to a subset of that. And I, I'm wondering if that's maybe what iStat Menus is doing, is that it's maybe... No, it's just using the wrong name. Cause it's, I mean, no, it's my right. process. It's, it's fish shell is running as user Dave and, and, no, so, and handbrake CLIs. I'm not running anything as root or, you know, anything like that. Yeah. It's just, it's just how it goes, but you know, whatevs, it's fine. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll get it. It seems to be getting better. So I don't know. Um, let's see, where are we here? I want to, uh, we, we've got a couple of cool things found that, that we promised we'd talk about this week. And, uh, and, and these are, many of these are things that, that, uh, that we've seen at shows or I've seen at shows recently. And they're all things that I have in my hands and, and have touched, which is, which makes it more fun. The first three I want to talk about are all, um, one in, from the same company, JBL's line of portable Bluetooth speakers, uh, for the 2015 holiday season is out. Uh, if you've listened to this show for uh, a little while, at some point you've heard me wax poetic about the JBL pulse, which is a portable Bluetooth speaker that has lights in it and it can do a little light show along with the music. Uh, and I, I love the JBL pulse. It's my favorite thing. It goes into my suitcase before anything else. So I will give up a shirt, uh, you know, an extra shirt. Cause that's about the size that it takes up. It's like one of these little conical sort of uh, things. And it's, it takes up about the size of a shirt and I'll give up a, a spare shirt in order to have the pulse. Cause it's got great sound. And I, you know, it's nice to have good sounding music in my hotel room or wherever it is I'm traveling. And, uh, and Bluetooth makes it easy. If there's other people around, they can just pair to it and, and good to go. So uh, I was very excited when they came out with the Pulse 2. The Pulse 2 adds a couple of things. The light show gets better because they have uh, more lights, which is you know, like more lights on the, on the surface of it. So they're smaller. And, and so the, the show is a little more, um, a little smoother. Uh, they've put a camera in it, which is, sounds crazy, but what you can do, it's got a little, this camera is really just built to grab color and you put it right up against a, a, a surface, either a, you know, a wall or, or really anything. And you press the camera button on the front and it grabs the color of whatever it is you put it against and matches that to the, uh, to the speaker. So it, it's, it's gimmicky, of course, that, I mean, the whole light thing is gimmicky too, and you can set different patterns, but it's fun. So what's new uh, sound wise in the JBL Pulse 2 is that they've added, um, well, they've added a microphone so you can use it as a speakerphone, which now becomes really handy. 
Um, they've also added uh, base resonators. I'll call them. I'm not uh, what are they passive? Yeah, base radiators. They're passive radiators. One on either end of this thing. The low end sound and therefore the 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 fullness of the sound of this thing is so much. But I was happy with the sound of the previous pulse. This is amazing. It really, really blows me away. Now, all of these things add up to it being a little bit larger. So instead of it being the size of a rolled up shirt in my suitcase, it's now getting probably halfway between, sh- uh, you know, a shirt and a pair of jeans. And of course, I'm a, you know, I'm a six, three guy. So my jeans are, are, might be bigger than yours because, you know, yours might be shorter. And so you, you have less room in your suitcase. So it's worth going out and grabbing one of these things to, to feel what it's like. Uh, but, uh, but very, very great sound. And, and, and that great sound translates into everything that JBL has put out this season. Their flip, which is smaller than the original uh, Pulse and, and, and smaller even than a rolled up shirt. Now we're talking about like a, a pair of socks, maybe. Um, the Flip 3 has sound that's um, better than last year's Pulse. And almost as good as this year's Pulse. So the, the Flip 3 might become my new travel companion. It too has a microphone. Uh, it, and only because it's a little smaller is why it might become my, my new travel companion. It has these passive radiators and doesn't have the light show that the Pulse has. So I've got to balance that. And maybe maybe I'll make an on-the-fly decision when, when packing each time. But uh, obviously Bluetooth, these are all now splash-proof. So uh, you can, you know, they're, they're sealed and and... They say splash proof. You could probably dunk these things in the water, but uh, I wouldn't recommend it because these passive radiators and stuff on it, they certainly don't recommend it, but, uh, but they could probably survive that fairly well. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel too bad having them at, at the beach and the batteries last like 10 hours on these things. The sound on these with these passive radiators is awesome. Uh, lastly in the JBL lineup this year, something new for them called the extreme this is a large device uh, as compared to these other ones. You would not, this would take up half of my suitcase. It's kind of the, you know, 2015 take on the boom box, if you will. Uh, but gr- huge sound out of this thing. Uh, it's got a, uh, it, it's got Bluetooth in it. It's got uh, a rechargeable battery as they all do. But this one has ports that you can plug in and charge your devices while it's playing. Uh, all of these devices have what they call JBL connect now. So if you have two different devices, like a flip and a pulse or a, a, a pulse and a, a, a JBL extreme, you can connect them together and they'll play the same sound, the same music simultaneously. And, and it, and it's totally in sync and all of that works. And you, you know, you don't have to be on a Wi-Fi network. It does it all with Bluetooth. If you have two of the same speakers, though, you can set them up in a stereo pair. So if you have two flips or, or two extremes or two pulses or whatever it is, you set them up in a stereo pair. And now you've got full stereo sound, portable, wireless, Bluetooth, and they sound fantastic. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an audio snob. I will not recommend speakers that sound like crap. I won't even talk about them because there's because it, everything sounds like crap except for the good stuff. And, uh, and JBL is definitely the good stuff. So I'm very happy to be able to talk about these things and, and recommend them to you. I believe the, um, flip is just shy of 200 bucks. Oh no, sorry. The pulse is just shy of 200 bucks. I believe the flip three is 99 bucks. So, uh, 
you know, these things are not overly expensive, especially for what you're getting. Um, the flip, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking on Amazon here now and I'll put that link in the notes. Yeah. The flip three is 90, uh, it's about 99.95 is the list priced. Amazon has it for 97. So there you go. You got something, John? I do, Dave. So this was a result also of Get Geek. There actually a show before that, and I reminded them, hey, you know, this uh, looks like a pretty neat device here. Yeah. I really want to check it out. And I'll let you check it out when you stop by, Dave, um, because it's something that lets you share, and sharing is good. We, we learned this back in kindergarten. That's right. right. Or even That's before that. Perhaps. Sharing yeah. is good. Um, and this device, I would argue, though, they're, uh, they're, they're, uh, Release doesn't say this, but I'm going to argue, Dave, that this is the smallest media server that I have ever seen. Um, and it's called the SanDisk Connect Wireless Stick. Now, I talked about something similar that they make. Um, it's called the SanDisk iExpand flash drive. Yep. Um, and that is pretty clever in that on one side, it's USB, so you plug it into your computer. And on the other side, it's a lightning connector, so you plug it into your iOS devices, and then you can consume your media. This takes a similar approach. Uh, number one, it's a little bit smaller. Uh, but number two, Dave, so on one side, it's USB. So like I said, if you want to you know, put, copy your media from your computer onto this, uh, that's what you do. And it's... Uh, uh, USB two. Uh, I checked the throughput. The throughput's not, um, you know, it's not stellar. It's a USB two flash drive. It, sure. You know, I, I I got about thirteen megabytes a second read write speeds. Okay. So, uh, you know, not the fastest, not the slowest. Uh, kind of middle of the road. But then here's the cool part: is how you consume the data. Is that it's Wi-Fi? Oh wow. Now you may ask yourself, well, how, how do you how are you going to pull that off? Does it have to be plugged in and powered? No. You charge it. It's a little baby Wi-Fi access point. Oh, okay. So it doesn't have a battery, but you could plug it into, say, a portable battery oh, no, it does. or something. Oh, it does. No, no, it does. No, really? you charge it. So it has a rechargeable battery. I think it lasts uh, uh, several hours, depending on, on what you're doing. Yep. Uh, but what you do is, so you can either, with your computer, um, be it a Mac or whatever, you can connect to it so it shows up. The default name, I think, is, is you know, SanDisk. Uh, uh, I, I forget the default name. Sure. It's pretty obvious when you when you see it in your uh, in your list. But if you connect to it with your computer, now here's the clever part. So, of course, if I'm connected to this with Wi-Fi, Dave, I'm not connected to anything else. But here's where I think they do a little network magic here, is that to access the content on it from your computer, you go to your browser and you type in www.sandisk.com slash myconnect. And you then see the media on it. Oh, it goes and it finds. Okay, so it it, it must go. So they do some trickery. Yeah, that's smart though. That way you don't have to scan your network or anything. it does that work for you. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's so awesome. the thing is, is that you're you, even though you're not connected to the internet, you're typing in a URL as if you were right, and it just oh. intelligently redirects you. You see what I'm saying? I do. Oh, that's smart. Because at first I'm like, because because uh, the a pain in the neck with a lot of devices is how do you connect to them if you're connected to them instead of the internet? Right. Sometimes you have to type in the IP address and that's a real pain in the neck. This here, I think, makes it very accessible and, and very easy. So, like I said, once you connect to it, all you have to do is type in that URL on your computer and then you're consuming it. Um, so that's the cool part. Um, it will it, You can run so you can either connect from a computer or if you're on iOS or I believe they also have an Android app. 
uh, you can connect and, and run an app. And the app will do a number of things. So uh, one, it lets you, of course, consume your content, which can be uh, a movie, uh, photos, or music. Um, so that's one aspect of it. And then like, like there are other products here, if, it is, uh, if you are connected to it, with, uh, or at least with my iOS device, I can, similar to the, the other devices they have, I can back up my uh, f- camera roll to it. And I can also back up my contacts list and, of course, restore it as well. Sure. Um, and you can share with, yeah, so, the, so they claim, so the, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just amazed they can, you know, cram a Wi-Fi access point into what's basically the size of a USB flash drive. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, cool, the man. limitation is That's that they cool. only claim you can share with three people. So, uh, so hopefully you have uh, less than three friends that you want to share with at a time. But uh, pretty slick, a very impressive feat of engineering, I, I have to say. I've seen devices like it, but none exactly like this. Yeah. So. Cool. I have two other things to mention briefly here in Cool Stuff Found, but they're both very important. So don't let the time of the mention. Uh, anyway, Drive Genius now has a repartitioning tool back in it. This was missing from Drive Genius 4, and now it is back. So, uh, especially since you can't do any of this easily in the Apple interface. Now you can use drive genius to do that. We'll put a link in the show notes to that. Very, very important stuff and handy to have around. Last thing I want to mention is tilt. One of my favorite, uh, battery portable battery slash power companies has come out with something they call the smart charger. We've talked about these kinds of things before, and I've always been very frustrated by them. This is a device that has a battery pack. It is a battery pack. And the way you charge it is you flip out a, um, a, a, a two prongs and you plug it into the wall. Right. And, and you, there's a, a, an international kit that allows you to put whatever, uh, you know, whatever you need on it to, to make it work in your country. But for the U.S., you just flip out these two prongs and uh, plug it into the wall. What Tilt has done that no one else seems to have figured out is they've done something where they put a lightning cable on it. So yay, good. And they put a USB port on it. So you can charge anything else you might have, including another lightning device. You just plug the cable in. I've seen them from other vendors where they, you know, put lightning and micro USB and it's like, well, okay, but can I have a USB port too? No. So tilt's done it right. They've got it with, uh, with both lightning and a USB port brilliant and uh 6k worth of power and i think uh the thing is uh what are they charging for it i think it's like 50 bucks or something like that so it's you know it's the right price for everything that you're getting and the nice part is you don't need a cable to charge it you just plug it in and go so uh it's 60 bucks say it uh yes i think 60 bucks for the international one or 60 bucks for the us one and and maybe 80 for the international one so you got to check it out and uh And I believe with that, in fact, I know with that, our time is up. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the address to which you can send in your cool stuff found. We'll be alternating back and forth between your stuff and our stuff uh, as we run through the holiday season here. So make sure to send in your stuff for next week, and we will uh, filter through it and include it and share it with everyone. So thank you for that. You know what I'm going to do, Dave? What's that? When I find this stuff, and we're going to, no doubt, we're going to find this stuff uh, at Pepcom later in the week, I'm going to send it to feedback at MackieGab.com. 
because that's uh, that's the kind of guy you are. Premium at MacGeekGov.com, in fact, is an address that you can send it to as well if you're a premium supporter and if you would like to learn more about that. Visit MacGeekGov.com. We would uh, we would welcome your uh, contribution to what it is that we do here. And MacGeekGov.com has all the details. So premium at MacGeekGov.com for all of you folks. 206-666-GEEK is the number anybody can call. Ask a question, leave a cool stuff found. Max and... Oh, who else was it in the show today? I knew that we had two, right? We played two of them. Max and Michael had uh, had questions that came in that way, and yours can come in that way too. John, geek is forty three thirty five. You got it. Facebook is our uh, really the, the most active community that we have. It's absolutely fantastic. MacGeekGab.com slash Facebook is the best way to get there. Some great folks out there answering your questions long before John and I ever even see them. But uh, but of course, we join in the conversation, too. So go feel free. Ask questions. Answer questions. It is a I like to say it's a free for all, but but with an emphasis emphasis on the for all. It's for everyone. You know, if, if you feel like you have no knowledge and you want to just come and just read, great. If you want to ask some questions, great. And if you have an answer for a question that somebody else has asked, awesome. Got some cool stuff down? Share it there. We keep an eye on that and we'll bring it into the show, too. So you can put it all there. All that good stuff. Our thanks to Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com for providing all the bandwidth to get this episode from us to you as they do every week the podcast marketplace includes of course harry's at harry's.com coupon code shave five off saves you five bucks and that's a good thing linda at lynda.com slash mgg gets you 10 days for free Otherworld Computing at MacSales.com, of course, is uh, where you can go for all of those fantastic upgrades and videos and everything. Imazing.com slash MGG. Actually, Imazing.com and coupon code MGG saves you 20%. Smile at SmileSoftware.com slash Geek. Crucial.com, where you can get, uh, I believe they still have 5% off for the rest of the month. So you got to check that out, too. And of course, Barebones software at barebones.com. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for having fun with us. Thank you for sending in all of your questions, your tips, and your cool stuff found. We couldn't do this without you, nor would we want to. So our thanks to you. And with that, I'll share one lasting bit of advice. Whatever you do this week, have fun. Whatever you do this week, take care of yourself. And please, Don't get caught.